Well, I thought I was done preaching about Pentecost at the end of June. That's what I thought. That we spent three weeks going through Acts chapter 2. We examined the power of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came and indwelled all of the believers. We looked at the purpose of Pentecost and how the Spirit fills us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. We looked at the promise of Pentecost and the fact that salvation is now available to all people who repent and believe. And I thought, like, we're just going to leave it there. But wouldn't you know it, I found another P word. I found another P word that dealt with the last few verses of Acts chapter 2. And I just, I couldn't help myself. I just, I needed to do it. And so we're going to look today at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, at the product of Pentecost. The product of Pentecost. Essentially, what is it that the Holy Spirit produced or created at Pentecost? And so that's what we're looking at today at the end of Acts chapter 2 in verses 42 through 47. And this, this has to be the end because there's nothing left in Acts chapter 2 after this. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank You for this Word that You give to us and You speak to us today. We thank You, O God, that You have preserved this Word faithfully, that by Your Holy Spirit You have inspired these words to be written and that You have faithfully passed them down from generation to generation, that we now have them in our own language, that we can understand them. So God, I do pray that You would help me to clearly speak and to faithfully proclaim Your Word, to speak only that which is true and can be derived from this message. Help me, O God, to faithfully do that in spite of my own sin. I pray that You would help us to receive Your Word as it is, as the Word of God written for us, as our authority. Give us ears to hear and open hearts and minds to receive what You say to us today, that You, O God, by Your Spirit, might produce in us this same kind of Christian community. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the big question again for today is what kind of community does the Holy Spirit produce? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit makes a church? And to answer our big question, we are going to talk about show and tell, like we did with the girls up front during the children's message, but we're going to do it backwards. We're going to talk about tell first and then show, because before showing us what the early Christian community was like, We are told what they valued. 
that verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 is kind of like the mission statement of the early church or the core values. That if you go to different church websites, occasionally you'll go and you'll find a tab that says mission, core values. Here is what we are about as a church. And essentially, verse 42 is that. That's what we see in the early church, that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us what they considered important. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That these four core principles formed the foundation of the early Christian community. And before looking at each of those four, I want us to take a moment to appreciate the word devoted. It says the early believers devoted themselves to these things. They persisted in them. They intentionally clung to these principles more than others. We can devote ourselves to things. We may devote ourselves to our spouse, to caring for our children, to a new exercise or diet, to doing a good job at our work. And we devote ourselves to these things because we prioritize them. We see them as valuable things. And the early believers identified what was important about following Jesus together. And Luke singles out four of these principles for us, four things they said we are going to devote ourselves to. And so first we see they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now that does not mean they hung on every word of what the apostles said. Like if they said only crunchy tacos, not soft tacos. No, the reason the apostles' teaching mattered was because the apostles received what they taught from Jesus. Essentially, the apostles' teaching was Jesus' teaching. That's why it had authority. And the apostles were the original 12 disciples, with Judas Iscariot having been replaced by Matthias, as you can see in Acts chapter 1, and that these 12 were uniquely taught by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to understand how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament. And so this teaching of the apostles would eventually be written down in what we call the New Testament. But at that time, all they had was the Old Testament and these guys who were alive. And before they died off, they thankfully wrote it down that we would have both the old and the new, the full witness of what God wants us to know. And so for us, being devoted to the apostles' teaching means being devoted to Scripture. Having the Word of God as our ultimate authority for all of life. That was the first thing they were devoted to. Second, the early Christian community was devoted to the fellowship. Fellowship is one of those Greek words that's sometimes worth knowing. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It's a fun word. Sounds fun. And it's one of those words we just don't have a good English word for. You can translate it fellowship, community, participation, partnership, association. Essentially, it's togetherness. Folks who are together. And the That is what it was about, that the early church did not view religion and spirituality as an individual thing that you keep to yourself. That to follow Jesus meant following Jesus together with other people. 
And so they were committed, devoted to living with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In our modern world that values individualism, this is really hard for us. And yet the early believers made this fellowship an absolute priority. And so that was the second thing they devoted themselves to, the fellowship. Third, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now this is a reference to sharing meals together, especially in the homes of one another. But it also alludes to the Lord's Supper which would be commonly celebrated in people's homes with other believers. And you might be thinking, sign me up for the church that makes food one of its core values. And I would agree, yes. I want to be a part of a church that has food as a core value. But the point is not so much eating as it is breaking down the social barriers that the death of Jesus has broken down. It is bringing together unlikely people as family. And since this idea is very similar to fellowship, it can be helpful to think about fellowship as the who of community, who all is involved, and the breaking of bread as the what of community. What brings us together? It's the breaking of bread, symbolized in Jesus and his death. And so by breaking bread together and by sharing the Lord's Supper together, we are fostering unity with fellow believers as we eat and drink like family. So that was the third thing they were devoted to. And fourth, the early church was devoted to prayers. The early Christian community acknowledged their dependence upon God through prayer. That Jesus had told them to ask anything in His name, and He would do it for them. They realized they had a great privilege of praying to the Lord, and that the Lord would hear them. Now, these prayers probably included traditional Jewish prayers like the Psalms. They almost certainly included the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught His disciples. And they probably included other prayers like we offered earlier in our service for the joys and concerns in our lives. By devoting themselves to pray for one another, they maintained an attitude of complete dependence upon the God who had saved them. That that mattered to them. And so these four core principles formed a foundation for the early church. But I want to notice that these four things were not the only things they cared about. Baptism is not mentioned, but it's mentioned up in verse 38 earlier that when Peter preached, he said, be baptized. So baptism matters. It doesn't say make disciples, but in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, they're told to go and make disciples. That mattered too. In the same way that worshiping God matters, as we'll see in verses 46 and 47, that they gathered together to worship. And so these are not the only exclusive core four best values, but they are four of the values that the early church devoted themselves to. That the Holy Spirit led them to be devoted to these things, to prioritize them and persist in them. But what did it look like in practice? It's fine to put core values on a website, to say, this is our mission. It's fine to tell people, as he does in verse 42, but what does it look like in action? That's what verses 43 through 47 does. They show us these values revealed in the lives of believers. We are shown what their faith in the Lord looks like. 
and what their relationships with one another look like. In other words, we are shown this vertical relationship between God and the people and the horizontal relationships between fellow believers. And so we're going to first look at the vertical. Verse 43 tells us that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, it's, it's natural if you see something miraculous to be in awe of it. It makes sense that people who saw the apostles doing these things or who heard about Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead, you'd be awestruck. But God does that to authenticate. There's a reason we are still not doing wonders and signs, and it's when God does something new, He sends miracles to authenticate it. When Moses, after 400 years of slavery, showed up to say it's time for us to get out of Egypt, God sent him with miracles to do. When Elijah the prophet came to God's people to tell them to stop worshiping Baal, we must turn back to the Lord, he was given miracles to do. When Jesus came in the flesh, he did many miracles to show this is something new. And the same thing happened in the early church This is something I'm blessing. What these people are talking about with Jesus is true. Go. So they were filled with awe that God was doing this new thing in this Christian community. But the awe went beyond wow. It is also the fear of God. A recognition that God is holy and we are sinners at His mercy. Because many in this early Christian community believed the apostles' teaching about Jesus after they had rejected Jesus, not believing in Him during His ministry. They knew they had sinned greatly. They knew they were in debt to the grace of God. And so they were humbled that even though they deserved judgment, God would show them grace. And so awe fell upon all the people with the result that they were filled with thankfulness and praise. We are told day by day they went to the temple to worship God and sing praises, to give thanks that the Messiah had come to make atonement for their sins, that every time they gathered together, they ate food and were filled with joy and gladness, rejoicing that what a time to be alive. The Messiah has come. We know who this guy is. And so the early Christian community did not simply profess to believe in Jesus. They lived out their lives like they believed in a living God who had sent a Savior and they needed to devote their lives to Him. And that belief was most clearly seen in their care for one another. That their vertical relationship flowed into the horizontal. We're told all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so not only did they devote themselves to the idea of fellowship, they lived out that concept. They generously gave to one another so no one was in need. And it's at this point that we Americans immediately start feeling queasy. We're starting to think like, man, that sounds a lot like socialism. And we hate socialists. I mean, we do. Church isn't going to make me sell my stuff and give them money. And you're right. The church isn't going to make you sell your stuff and give us money. Just like the early church didn't make anyone sell their stuff 
and give them money. They did so willingly, gladly, freely. As we saw in our New Testament reading, one of the things that's most interesting about the Ananias and Sapphira story is Peter essentially tells them, you could have kept your stuff. You did, you, like, no one was telling you you had to do this. You just saw everyone else doing it, and you did it, but you lied about how much it was worth. No one's forcing you to do this. That it is a generous thing done freely and without compulsion. And this generosity was so free-flowing because the early church wanted to be devoted to the fellowship of believers. They valued one another more than their possessions. Now, occasionally, our boys fight over toys. You may find that hard to believe. But they do. That I want it. No, I want it. No, I want it. No, I want it. And so when Abby talks to them, she will often ask them, what is more important, your brother or your toy? The implication being that your brother is more important than your toy. The same is true of the church. What is more important, your brothers and sisters or your stuff? Your brothers and sisters or things you can give away to those in need. That we are to be willing to be generous to those in need because our love for them is greater than our love for our stuff. Luke goes on to tell us that believers didn't just share, share money and possessions with one another, they also shared time together. They went to the temple day by day and they ate together in their homes. Their fellowship included time worshiping together and sharing meals. And so not only did they claim to be brothers and sisters, they acted like it by spending time like they were family. And do you know what? When you spend time with people like their family, you are better able to see if they have needs. And how can you meet those needs? The people whose needs we know best are the people we are closest to. And so if we want to be able to care for people with needs, we must treat them and be with them like family. And it's in all of these ways we see the early church practice what they professed. And that is key to the Bible. I included two verses in the sermon outline in your bulletin that emphasize this. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's essentially what Abby asked the boys. Is your treasure your brother or your toy? Because where your treasure is, that is what you will give to. That is what you will protect. That is what matters. And James 2.18, I will show you my faith by my works. Here's what I believe. Let me show you what that looks like. That I don't just want to tell you, I want to show you. And all of this leads to a very important question for us. Does our community life reveal what we say we are devoted to? Does our practice as a church family match the beliefs that we profess? Because regardless of what we tell people we believe, we are going to show them what we believe by our actions. We may tell them about the good news of Jesus, but our attitudes and actions may show them something else we believe more. 
After all, actions speak louder than words. As one commentator writes about the early church, he says their life as a community was a visible part of their testimony. That they didn't just preach the gospel with words, they preached it with their lives together. They claimed to devote themselves to Christian fellowship, and that devotion was evident. The surrounding community noticed, we're told in verse 47, that the early church had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People noticed that this group of believers lived out what they believed. Church wasn't perfect, as we see with Ananias and Sapphira, but you could see they lived what they believed. So what do people see when they look at Bethel Church? What does our fellowship reveal about what we are really devoted to? Would people see a church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching as contained in the Bible? Will people see a church that knows the Bible, believes the Bible, and obeys the Bible? Or would they see a group of people who are devoted to a general sense of morality that you can find a few places in the Bible? Would they see a congregation devoted to being nice more than being holy? Does, the world, does what we show the world match what we tell the world? Would people see that we are devoted to the fellowship of believers? Would people see that we act like family toward one another, no matter how different we may be? Would people see how we love one another unconditionally and generously provide for whoever has needs? Or would they see a group of people who are very much like one another and like each other for reasons other than Jesus? Would they see a congregation devoted to other people in the church that share their same opinions and interests instead of seeing a family of adopted siblings with the same father? Does what we show the world match what we tell the world? Would people see that we are devoted to the breaking of bread? Would people see that we are devoted to spending time in each other's homes? Would people see that social barriers like income, race, and politics don't stop us from gathering around the same table in unity? Or would they see that we are content to politely shake the hands of acquaintances we recognize, but people we don't know? Would they see people who will take communion together, but not spend time together outside of worship? Does what we show the world match what we tell the world? Would people see that we are devoted to prayers? Would people look at Bethel and see a group of people who look to God for help in times of trouble and uncertainty? Would they see people who have unwavering hope no matter the circumstance? Would they see people who trust God and seek His direction? Or would they see a congregation that shares anxiety about medical issues under the guise of prayer? Would they see people who gossip more than pray? Does what we show the world match what we tell the world? Because make no mistake, the world is watching. Our neighbors are watching. Our co-workers are watching. Our friends are watching. Our teammates are watching. Our family is watching. And they can see inconsistency. And the Lord despises inconsistency. 
And that should frighten each and every one of us because we know we are inconsistent as individuals and as a community. That we are as guilty as Ananias and Sapphira. But we are not to despair or fear being struck down dead because we are not called to produce this kind of community ourselves. It's what the Holy Spirit produces in us. Because this community didn't happen until Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit indwelled us with the power to live this way. That God empowers us by His grace to live more and more as His consistent people, practicing what we preach and showing people the beliefs that we are telling them. And so if we look around at ourselves and one another and we see that our community does not reveal what we profess to believe, the answer is not forget beliefs. The answer is to dig in to beliefs. To believe more strongly so that they are better reflected in what we are showing the world. We can trust that Jesus forgives us for inconsistency, for hypocrisy, for failing in many different ways. He forgives us for failing to love one another. But He doesn't just leave us there. He then empowers us and unites us by His Spirit to live as brothers and sisters who testify not just in word, but also in deed in our love and care for one another as the fellowship of believers. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You for showing us the way in Your Word. And not just saying, do all of this or else. But showing us in such a way that we can examine ourselves and see where we fall short. And that we can cry out to You in dependent mercy. And ask, oh God, that You would help us to be better. Not in our own strength, but in Yours. And so God, give us the grace to live as Your people to live as your people, that our show may match our tell. God, we ask that you would please unite us by your Spirit. Help us to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Knit us together in love, a love that flows from Jesus, because we know that all those who believe in Jesus, he died for, just as he died for us. That He loves us that much. May we see each other with that same kind of love. That we are each and every one of us precious in the sight of Christ. Worthy of His lifeblood. And may we live together in the power of the Spirit for Your glory. That the world might see the goodness of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.